Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the fifth episode of Chilling with Dumpling. It's been a while since I uploaded an episode. I've been super busy with my internship and my work. And also Zoe, my wife, has gone back to Taiwan for three months. So I am stuck looking after Dumpling. Um, on a side note, if anybody is a data analyst or a business intelligence analyst, please get in contact with me. I would love to know what your job is like. Anyway, on to the episode. Today's guest is a very good friend of mine. I met her in Taiwan. Her name is Ying. I'm going to pass it over to her and she can introduce herself to you guys. Hi, everyone. My name is Ying and thank you, Ronald, for having me on your podcast. Um, I did meet Ronald in Taiwan when he was a Tidai um, at Longmu Elementary School and I was a Fulbright English teaching assistant at the school um, and I am an American. I currently live in Los Angeles, California and I originally grew up in San Francisco, California. So that's a little bit about me. Nice, nice, nice. So. Um, what Ying just mentioned was um, I was a Tidai uh, at the Longmu Elementary School. So how would you define Tidai, Ying? It's, uh, <laughs> um, I suppose it's like, um, I think the, the translation is either substitute or alternative serviceman, I think. So essentially it meant I didn't, I wasn't an active duty, I was just a security guard. <laughs> <laughs> sure, that's, a, that's, a, uh, that's an accurate description. Yeah. I yeah um, I guess the school's kind of like guy who's like, who the administration just kind of bosses around. Oh, do whatever like they don't want to do is what the TDIE will do at the school. Exactly, yeah. And then I was also forced to teach English because I spoke, I speak English well. <laughs> Okay, so Ying, you talked about how you were in Taiwan for Fulbright. So can you tell us a little bit about Fulbright? Yes, so Fulbright, for those that don't know, is a academic exchange program between the U.S. and lots of other countries in the world. Um, you can either teach, do a teaching Fulbright, or you can do a research Fulbright. And the research Fulbrights are normally reserved for people who have an idea of what they want to research. They kind of link up with a host institution at, um, in the country they want to go to, and then they get funding from Fulbright to conduct their research. Um, the teaching grants are mostly geared towards um, students who have just graduated undergrad. Um, and the whole point of the Fulbright program is a academic and cultural exchange. Um, it's run by the State Department of the US and is their kind of uh, form of what most people would call soft diplomacy. Mm. Okay, okay. And so why did you want to do Fulbright? So what was your reasoning um, behind it? To be honest, I just, like similar to what you said in a previous podcast, I didn't really know what I wanted to do 
after I graduated college and one of my good friends had done the program in Kaohsiung, Taiwan and she just told me to apply um, because she was having so much fun doing it. She thought I would be a great fit. Um, I already knew how to speak Chinese a little bit and so that was a plus um, and I I think I did want to try to travel and live abroad for some period of time after graduation um, but I just didn't really know how to do that and uh, my college really advertised the Fulbright program and so that's kind of where I got to know what it was all about. Mm, okay. And um, because we met each other in during a second year of Fulbright, so what made you want to do another year of it? Um, I wanted to do two years of Fulbright because the first year I had a really great time and afterwards I didn't know, I still didn't know what I wanted to do if I went back to the US and I knew I didn't want to live at home. And I also knew that if I stayed one more year, my Chinese would get a lot better. And I kind of felt like after the first year, you were just, or I was just getting the hang of things, maybe in May of the first year. Mm. I felt comfortable. I felt like I knew what to expect when I went to a breakfast stand and ordered something. Everything just kind of fell into place in May. And that's almost when a lot of English teaching assistants leave because their grant is over um, June 30th, I think. And so I wanted to make the most of my time in Taiwan and I thought another year would really enrich my experience. Mm. Oh, okay. And so can you take us through like a normal day uh, for you? Um, a normal day? For me, uh, my first year, I was teaching in city schools, and so I was teaching fifth and sixth graders only. And most of these classes had around 30 students in the class. Um, so normally I would get up, scooter to school, teach English with my co-teachers, have lunch at school, maybe teach one or two periods after lunch, and then uh, go home or go to Chinese class or meet up with a friend or go explore, go work out. Um, that was kind of my first year. And the second year was similar, except that the classes were at one of the schools, Longmu, were very small, maybe um, four to 10 students per class and also four to 10 students per grade. So it was a very tight-knit community um, and the other school I taught at had around 30 students and I was teaching um, fourth and fifth grades. Um, but the day was pretty much the same. Um, wake up, breakfast, teach, go home, or go to Chinese or workshop. Um, it was very, I didn't have many responsibilities outside of school, which was nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So these Chinese classes, these workshops, you... Were they mandatory? Did you have to go to these? Um, the Chinese classes were optional, and I chose to pay for them because I wanted to have my Chinese improve, not only speaking, but also reading and writing and certain grammar structures that I wouldn't know if I didn't go to class. Um, but the 
workshops that happened, I think, every other Friday um, for Fulbright, those were mandatory, and those were more along the lines of how to be a better teacher, um, any kind of cultural differences you might be noticing, or just teaching support. Um, and sometimes, like, uh, advisors would come down from Taipei or different parts of Taiwan and maybe show us new activities that we could do with our students, or we would uh, troubleshoot issues we were having in our classrooms. And so it was more of a learning experience for all of the English teaching assistants as well as their co-teachers. Mm. Okay. And would, how would you rate your Chinese now? Would you say you're fluent? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. On my resume, it does say I'm advanced. <laughs> level. <laughs> if anyone asks, that's what I am. But I think that my Chinese, I'm able to have a conversation with anyone about daily topics very easily. I can understand a lot more than I can speak, but I can still speak a, a decent amount. Um, but if we are to discuss politics, sports, fi finances, um, like housing or the news, I would not have the vocabulary to do that. Um, and maybe if we were to do this podcast in Chinese, <laughs> I were, we could do it, but it would be a struggle. So <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at. Chinese and I'm hoping to continue to like improve and I'm going to graduate school this fall and so I really would love to take Chinese again um, and just to really I know I'll never like learn Chinese fully it'll be a, a life mission really hmm. <laughs> oh. I mean no fair enough I, I th your Chinese has been in the mind already so I'll give you that <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes no. Oh, wait, when is sometimes no? When I don't. I, I don't know. I feel like you pick up on like some things that I don't because you grew up with like people speaking it to you, you know. Mm. And I did too, but not at home. Or like you know a little bit of Taiwanese, so that always helps. Yeah. True. Okay. True. Okay. Um. So this Fulbright teaching program. So you did it for two years. After all of that, did you become a teacher? Like, did it kind of... <laughs> like... um, maybe it had the opposite effect. <laughs> <laughs> it showed me exactly what I did not want to do. I think working with young children, hmm. bless all the teachers out there, they are amazing, but that is not the path for me. I, I, wait, or I used up all of my patience <laughs> in Taiwan. <laughs> with these kids but um like i do i did enjoy the teaching i just don't think it would be a sustainable career for me mm -hmm. um but i think i enjoy tutoring and now i'm working with high school students and i do think that's a lot more fun for me and i could see myself maybe teaching a high school class in the future but um it's not at the top of my list mm -hmm. right now no, that's that's understandable. I think it's also kind of like pushed me off um, teaching as well. 
Um, so I totally understand where you're coming from. I'm not a fan of teaching anymore. Mind you, I do teach adults right now, so it is a little bit different. But um, but last question about Ty. Oh, last question about your Fulbright program. Can you kind of tell us, or do you remember who was your favorite student to teach, or who was like the student that you hated the most? Oh, great question. I think there were a lot. Why don't we just do the the other? I mean, I know like a great teacher would answer these questions and just say, "No, everyone was great." You know, <laughs> I didn't have a favorite. There were no. I didn't really dislike anyone. But to be honest, I am not that teacher. So here we go. Like some of these kids. Oh my God! Like I, I felt so bad because the classroom in one of my schools, the level of English was ranged from someone who could probably read a Harry Potter book in English to mm. someone who could barely form a sentence in the same classroom. And so I think because like the level of English was so vast in one classroom for like fifth grade, it made it difficult to design and design lessons that would engage the whole class in a way that would stop inappropriate behavior. And so I think the students that acted out the most were the ones that just their English was not up to par for the class. Or opposite, the ones that the English was just amazing and they were checked out and they just wanted to cause a ruckus, have fun. So there were many of those students that I just had a hard time with. But I guess my... Some of my favorite students were the ones that I got to know outside of the classroom and play some soccer with, or just had a really strong connection to. For example, at Longu, I think, I think Judy really liked me. Like, I still read her note that she wrote to me. Judy is a, was a fourth grader, um, no? I think fifth, fifth grader. Fifth, oh yeah, Judy was a fifth grader. And she wrote me the sweetest note when I left. She said, like, Teacher Ying, like, uh, I'll miss, I'll be so bored without you. Like, no one will read books to me anymore. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so sweet. Like, I always read with Judy because she loved to read. Um, but, yeah, all the kids, like, they're, especially at the smaller schools, you make a better connection with. Mm. But it, it's so sent I mean it's sentimental but at the same time it's weird to think that they're gonna grow up because the memory you have of them is like forever a fifth grader or forever a first grader mm. and then if you ever go back like they won't be as you remembered them yeah and yeah. um, just kind of like a question to throw you under the bus if they would say um they message you just like out of the blue would you reply back to them yeah of course <laughs> are you sure i'm pretty sure that's not what you said before <laughs> <laughs> well, oh no. yeah i have replied to them like for, they don't message me off they message me on a facebook messenger for my birthday or something like that oh. but yeah and i try to reply but no one has really like tried to hold a conversation maybe because they can't <laughs> or, like, 
Or they just, like, forgot. Either way, it's fine with me. Yeah, no. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay. So, you lived in Taiwan for two years, and you've lived in America for majority of your life. So, what are the things that you miss about Taiwan? Like... Um, I think there are some amazing things about Taiwan that, when I look back, I just wish that they were in the U.S. For example, I think the most amazing thing is the convenience of life. Like, if you are hungry, if you uh, want to get something, a snack, it's so easy to get a healthy, nutritious, and cheap option. Like, at 7-Eleven, or on the roadside, like, just a bowl of rice, and, like, meat, or, like, noodles, or, like, uh, rice, something, which isn't very healthy, <laughs> or... Uh, like barbecue or like the night market there's just an abundance of good food in Taiwan and I think that's what I miss because I never cooked in Taiwan because you didn't have to mm. and it's not only like Chinese or Taiwanese food that's there they have like really excellent coffee shops or like Mediterranean food or um, even burgers they have a lot of different things which I don't think a lot of people know about mm. so i guess that's the number one thing i miss and then also for convenience like transportation um at least in taipei and i guess now in kaohsiung the mrt is super easy to use and always on time um and you don't need a car and in kaohsiung i had my own scooter so that was very fun to get around town in and to kind of have a lot of independence without having the responsibility of a car mm -hmm. um, and Taiwan is also meant to like be traveled um, or it's easy to travel because you can go to some gorgeous places on um, Taiwan's east coast I think that's correct yeah what do you mean like Tainan Taidong? like Taidong or is that west I think it's west, isn't it? No, that's like south, southwest, isn't it? West. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's so bad. It's just the opposite side of Kaohsiung, the other way. Taizong, Hualien. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I agree. And it's so easy to get there, and it's so easy to make plans. Versus in the U.S., if you want to go somewhere beautiful, like you need to fly there, you need to drive. But in Taiwan, you can hop on the train or the high-speed rail or even rent a car it won't and it won't take too long um and i guess like the the smallness of the island makes everything so accessible but that is also a con i guess because the smallness of the island can feel a little bit uh a little bit too small like mm -hmm. when i got back to the u.s i was like thank god for these like big freeways <laughs> big roads like huge mcdonald's like uh just a huge soccer complex or field that just would not have been possible in taiwan just because space is so limited mm. because it's an island um yeah. but yeah i think those are the biggest um perks of taiwan is just like convenience and food and transportation mm. yeah i yeah I, I agree somewhat with what you've said um, can you think of any like kind of 
memorable moment in Taiwan or like a like negative or positive moment? Um, I guess positively, a positive moment was when after my second year of teaching, I had to find a apartment or studio on my own. And my Chinese was good enough at that point that I could use a Taiwanese app and I could like call or make appointments with landlords using the app. And I was like very proud that I was able to kind of do that on my own. And it worked out and I got a studio by Central Park in Kaohsiung. And for those that don't know, that is the best or one of the best locations to live in Kaohsiung because <laughs> Are you it's sure? It's not far from the from the main station. You can go to Zoying, but it's also not too far from like Shizuwan or because there's a lot of good food there too. Where's Shizuwan? What's that? Central Park. Yeah, but that was a positive <laughs> moment. And I guess negative moment was when I had a scooter accident when in my first year of being in Taiwan. Um, but that was a one-time thing, luckily. And it taught me how to drive. So um, it wasn't too bad. And I was very lucky that I didn't get any type of injury, maybe only a concussion. Oh, wow. Wait, so who's, was it your fault or like was it the other driver's fault? Um, I think it was my fault, but in terms of like, if you looked at it from an American perspective, I think it was the other driver's fault, but in a Taiwanese perspective, it was definitely my fault because I didn't know the rules of the road and I was driving straight on my scooter and there were scooters to my left and to my right and I was like kind of sandwiched already so I couldn't really move and then there was a bus that was going right trying to pick people up from the stop and like I didn't know that buses in Taiwan literally keep going and stop for no one <laughs> and so I found that out pretty quick when the bus I mean the bus was going slow but it still hit me and then I couldn't move and like I fell off my scooter and the other two scooter drivers also fell but they got back up and they kept scootering <laughs> <laughs> they just left me on the ground and I was like thanks guys but um, that's kind of what ha that, that's kind of what happened during my accident mm. yeah damn that's I think I've never I don't think I've ever had an accident but I've never been killed like you know being hit by a bus as well when I was in Tainan and exactly the same thing, you know, they, well, they weren't picking up any passengers, but they were turning right. I thought they'll let me go first, but nah. so I just quickly speed off and just kind of passed them. But no, yeah, yeah. Then I think Zoe got really pissed off at me and then told me I couldn't ride a scooter anymore. <laughs> so that, yeah. was, that was kind of yeah. bad. But you you got your your scooter license, right? Yes, and yeah. I still have it. So if I ever go back, I can do that mm. i'm always impressed about that i only got my scooter license in my third year and i was riding a scooter my first year <laughs> not a good thing not a good thing okay um how about uh when you were when you were in taiwan 
for the two years what did you miss most about america apart from you know how big it was um i think i missed well apart from my family and friends which i guess is like a given um i think what i missed most about america was the diversity Hmm. i mean taiwan is diverse there's a lot of different people there um foreigners there's a lot of ethnic groups but growing up in america especially growing up in san francisco there's just so much like racial ethnic language diversity that you don't find in taiwan and i don't think i realized i missed that until after my first year um but i think i just i mean i think the first year was kind of a year of bliss where i was still getting used to everything and um thinking everything was super great and then the second year i kind of realized more of the flaws that i saw um about my life in taiwan and also how i kind of just wished for more like diversity of opinion diversity of um people and just uh like a bigger population size because that's mm. what i was used to um when you were in taiwan did you face any kind of like discrimination at all just um i can't say that i did but uh, i guess the only instance i can recall is when the english teaching assistants were co- were um advertising themselves to the co-teachers to be paired and matched to schools and i know that the schools like academic directors and also some teachers they wouldn't say it directly but they would just say they preferred someone who was white or mm. someone who had that kind of all american look like blue eyes blonde hair so that when they did pictures you could tell who the foreign teacher was like i've heard that in chinese before i mean it doesn't phase me and i don't really take it personally but it's definitely a a thing um mm. among the teachers and staff at at schools that they want someone who looks like foreign to be the foreign teacher yeah yeah I agree. I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Last question about Taiwan. Uh, were there or are there any similarities between Taiwan and America? Did you notice anything? I mean, apart from America's huge investment in Taiwan, <laughs> I think <laughs> there are. I mean, and obviously, America is a huge proponent of Taiwan's democracy. um but i guess the the similarities i see are that for the most part taiwanese people i've met are all very hard working and creative and they i don't know what it is but taiwanese people love to start businesses they love to um do their own thing and like make it happen and that type of attitude i think is also very entrenched in like american culture american ideals like people in america want to be rich people in america want to make it big or they come to america to get a better life basically and i think like that type of attitude of never giving up 
is also very apparent in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think is better, British English or American English? <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. No. no, no, I wouldn't ask that. I just know that yeah, there's always some things different. And if we were teaching, I think, together in the same class, we always had different opinions on stuff. That's true, yeah. yeah. No, that's all good. American English, British English, it's all the same in the end. Okay, so Yang, so I want to bring up, talk about your upbringing. So you you grew up in America, so, mm-hmm. but you weren't born in America though. So, yes. yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about kind of your past, I'll say? Yeah plot twist for everyone listening out there um and also for those that don't know i am asian american um i was born in hunan china and my parents are american white parents they came to adopt me um, when i was four months old from changsha hunan china and that has shaped everything about Mm. the trajectory of my life um my family how i've grown up literally in a different country uh and just life prospects um so i grew up as a transracial in a translation i I am a transracial adoptee who grew up with white parents um and i grew up in san francisco california like i said before and i my parents also did a amazing job of making sure that Chinese culture, Chinese language was always a part of my life. Hmm. And I know not all adopted parents do that for their kids. Like I know men, actually the kind of, um, the stereotype of adopted kids or adopted kids from Asia who grew up in white families in the U.S., they grow up in a very white neighborhood in like white suburbia their parents don't do much for them in terms of culture language and they feel disconnected from their roots or from their um where they're from like they can't relate to themselves as an asian american and for me that wasn't my experience because san francisco is very It has a large Asian population. I also went to a bilingual school so that half the day would be in Chinese and half the day would be in English. And so I got a lot of um, said culture and behavior and customs from my Chinese teachers. And I didn't realize I was picking up on it. Um, But that's, that's a little bit about my family and cultural background and how it might be even more rare even in the Asian adoptee community Mm. yeah so when you enrolled into that bi uh, bilingual school were you the one that wanted to learn Chinese or were your parents the ones that kind of kind of kind of pushed you into learning Chinese 
and um, learning about that culture. Yeah. My parents never pushed me, but they always gave me the opportunity. And I guess they also knew the value it would have in my life because when I was a baby, they hired a Chinese nanny. When I was, before I could go to the school, like this nanny took care of me and spoke Chinese to me. So they put a lot of effort into making sure that this would always be a part of my life. Mm. Um, but I never felt pushed, like I had to learn Chinese. Um, but I also didn't ha really have a choice because I was only three or four years old when I entered and I went to this school that taught Chinese and English so I didn't really think twice about it but I guess as I grew older um, I stopped I left that school in fifth grade and then from fifth grade until about college which is a long time I didn't take any formal Chinese classes or I wasn't in the same environment anymore I went to uh, different schools taught all in English and so I lost a lot of language, but I think taking taking Chinese again in college and then going back to Taiwan has kind of improved my Chinese and maybe I'm a little bit better than I was in fifth grade now, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I did take a break from Chinese for a while. Um, and part of it wasn't really my choice and Part of it was just how like life played out, I guess. Mm -hmm. So when you were growing up and San Francisco, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, did you ever kind of face any discrimination? Because you know, I know um, when I was younger, um, I mentioned this before with Victor in the first podcast that I did. Uh, I did give some some discriminatory remarks you know towards me but did you ever face anything like that in america um i can't say that i have or if i have i don't remember but i also the school i went to was pretty diverse mm. and the neighborhood i grew up in had a lot of chinese people living in it um so i think that made a huge impact on why everyone was so accepting. Um, but I guess people were curious about me and my family because my parents are white and I'm not white. And so when you're little, you don't really get the chance to explain yourself because your parents come to everything. They pick you up, they drop you off. Um, if you go to someone's house, they just know who you are. And so as I got older, maybe middle school, high school, I've had to do more explaining about my family history because it's not as common when um, your parents are constantly by your side. But I haven't faced any type of discrimination or even really rudeness about my family. Um, so I guess I've been rather lucky in that sense. Mm. Okay. So I got um, kind of two or three questions for you, Ying. So I think this is a really common question that a lot of kind of foreigners get when they're in a Western country. So um, maybe you've been asked this, maybe you haven't. So when somebody, let's say like a Westerner, so like a, somebody that's white, 
and they come up to you they start talking to you and then they ask you the question where are you from yes how do you answer that question um that question uh is honestly the everyone loves to ask that question yeah and genuinely they mean well where are you from and so i normally answer it and just say i'm from san francisco um and that usually makes them be quiet but if they have other questions i kind of just play dumb until they say something that reveals what they actually want to know and then i just answer their questions but i i mean i'm not too offended with that question uh because I know people when at least when people have asked me that question they haven't meant it like in like ill will they've genuinely general genuinely interested in my answer and maybe they just don't have the right words to say what they mean and so I don't I don't think it's a big deal and eventually we get to an answer that they were looking for so <laughs> it's been okay for me yeah, yeah. okay so then yeah because i've noticed that especially with me anyway and just other people around me i've always been asked you know where are you from i tell them you know uh christchurch new zealand and then they always follow it up with you know but oh where are you really from where are your parents from i'm just thinking why do you need to know this you know like can't you accept that yeah what i told you is the answer yeah i guess if people really go into that with me they get very confused because i just say where's your mom from where's your dad from i just say pennsylvania and then kansas and then they're like even more confused it doesn't help that (laughs) and then i if if that happens i kind of just have a like little chuckle to myself but because it that's not what they meant but i answer that anyway Mm -hmm. i know cool 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 and um so yep you said that you're an asian american so quick question i kind of want to ask because there are a lot of you know immigrants in a lot of different western countries uh nations and how would you define an american you know what makes somebody american for you how would you um i think like similar to how you or your friend victor might have answered this question before the obvious answer would be an american is someone who has u.s citizenship Hmm. um and i think legally yes that is what makes an american but uh culturally um an american is someone who probably has lived in the u.s for a while and has accustomed themselves to the cultural values here and whether they like it or not you know it doesn't Mm. matter sometimes you become american um and i think that uh, also what we learn in history class here is that people america believes in democracy americans believe in the constitution americans believe that um like all people are to be treated equally um but i guess also what we've learned in or what i've learned in history is that um the ideal of america versus the 
the reality of America is very um, separate. And I've read a, a lot of books, and especially the book I read most recently that talked about this was A Promised Land by Barack Obama, his new book, and he, he was just saying how um, that's kind of what America it will always be. It'll always be a place where we're always striving to reach an ideal that we may not reach, but as long as we try to get there, you know, that's, that's how, that's what makes America different. That's what makes America so special is that we believe in something that everyone can believe in. And I guess additionally, um, being American also has themes of the American dream, of creating a better life for yourself in America, of um, always reaching for something better. And the Ameri for many, the American dream is just a dream and doesn't seem attainable or is a false narrative that kind of uh, tricks people into coming here. Um, but for a lot of politicians and people who are very optimistic, the American dream is, can also be seen as something that unites the American population, um, something that really holds, like, together a lot of different people from different countries because that's what America is whether or not some people in America like to think of it that way America is very diverse um, but it's it's also very geographically big so each region will have its own culture each city each state and so it's hard to pin American culture in America down because of just how vast it is. But yeah, I think I think there are a lot of different ways to be American. Mm. Okay, good answer, good answer. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I think I see you've been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> I, mean, I mean I've studied my, my, my undergrad degree was in sociology, so we've talked about this a lot. Mm. And also I enjoy reading like history um and other types of uh books about like these topics immigration citizenship um it what it means to be asian american like uh what it means to be black in america like all these types of um topics that are now i guess coming to light in the news um i've been really interested in from the get-go mm. So you mentioned how um, uh, what it's like being black in America or Asian in America. And so last year, um, pandemic hit. I'm, uh, the U.S. went into lockdown. And then there was the George, George Floyd murder. So then there was all the uh, Black Lives Matter protest. And now this mm -hmm. year they have that um, Stop Asian Hate protest as well. Mm -hmm. So... Can you tell me a little bit about what was going through your mind when all of this was happening? Oh. Um, I think, to be honest, the Black Lives Matter movement has been going on for quite a long time. I remember when I was in uh, maybe 
high school or middle school, um, there was a young man named Trayvon Martin, and he was shot at Fruitvale State, um, or yeah, at Fruitvale Station, I believe. Or let me just check because so sad to say, but there have been so many um, killings of innocent black men. Okay, I'm mistaken. Trayvon Martin was from Florida, but there was also another killing that was very close to home in Fruitvale Station in Oakland. Um, and that, I think, happened around my high school years. And so I've been aware of uh, this type of violence against, particularly against black men, but also like black women um, for a long time. And so when, when these protests came in the summer of 2020, um, I just thought of it as a culmination of a lot of different things that have been happening in our country and also of just we've had enough of this type of um, discrimination and racism. Mm -hmm. um, but it was also at an interesting time because it was during the pandemic. And so I think it was heightened by the fact that many people were out of work many people didn't have much to do and many people wanted to find something maybe bigger to believe in and so a lot of people I think latched on to these social movements as something that they could really relate to something they could um, find a purpose in and something that they wanted to support um, so that's kind of what I think about the Black Lives Matter movement and in terms of the uh, stop Asian hate hashtag um, and recent attacks on Asian Americans in the US, I, I never thought that something like that would happen in the US in 2021. Um, and honestly, it's been a little bit weird because um, I, like I said before, my family isn't traditional. Like I, I'm not the same race as my parents. And a lot of these anti-Asian hate crimes are against um, elderly people or people within the Asian community that can't necessarily fight back for themselves as well. And so, I mean, I, I do identify as Asian American but I can't say that I share the same struggle or burden that a lot of my Asian American peers or um, just people in the US face because I do not have an Asian American grandparent or Asian American extended family here in the US. And so even though like these hate crimes are awful and uh, really hard to watch, it hasn't impacted me in the same way, I think, as um, it would someone who has a large, vast, extended network here in the U.S. of Asian American relatives and family. And I mean, I, I guess in a way, it has made me a little bit more scared when I like go outside or uh, do something in the grocery store. But I'm not I'm not very fearful for any type of violence against me that much because. One, I don't go out often, and two, like, 
I feel like when I do go out, I'm around like people. Like, yeah. I don't think, I don't think if anything were to happen, someone would stand up for me or I would be able to run or something like that. So I think in terms of my own personal safety, I feel a, I feel a bit um, grateful in the position that I'm in. Um, but I do like it's I do sympathize with the Asian American community and all the like racism that's happening. Um, and I guess to tie those two things together, I've been so happy to see a lot of um, other people, especially uh, black folks, support this uh, movement um, against anti-Asian hate. And that has been really uplifting. And also I've, I've really loved when there have been other people, of, especially like Asians that have supported the Black Lives Matter movement. And I know like that isn't the case for a lot of people and there's actually a lot of anti-blackness within the Asian community that is just not okay. Um, and same probably within the black community, there's a lot of anti-Asian sentiment. Um, but that doesn't mean that's everyone. And so I've really loved seeing like the support both ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess a highlight of it was when I saw a new clip of this Asian grandma on Market Street in San Francisco, and she was attacked, but she actually injured her attacker mm. worse than her attacker injured her. Yeah. And then to cap off the whole story, all the donations she received, she decided to give it back towards um, programs or organizations that fight racism. Um, and so I thought that was just really cool and also like <laughs> pretty funny that a, like a grown man could get beaten up by like an old Asian lady <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I like that yeah no that's no that's awesome and so during uh, the lockdown because I don't know what like, every state was in lockdown is that correct or did some states not it's it's honestly been state by state and i think every state was supposed technically supposed to be in lockdown but i don't think every state enforced that hmm. yeah but california was yeah, but, yeah california yeah. california had some pretty strict rules so we were in lockdown for the majority of 2020 yeah and then, so how did you, how did you survive? What'd you do? Like, great question. Well, <laughs> I think our lockdowns officially started like March 2020, and is still going on, although not, not as strict as it was. And apparently, California is scheduled to reopen June 15th. I have no idea why they picked this specific date, but whatever. Um. But in lockdown, I watched a lot of TV shows. I watched How to Get Away with Murder. <laughs> all of the episodes. Um, I read a lot of books. I applied to grad school. Um, I played soccer every Sunday with a mask on. And I just kept, I was lucky enough that I still had my job. So I kept working and um, the only thing was that I was getting pretty lonely because I lived alone in a studio. And I think 
the months of August to December of 2020 were just pretty lonely because the lockdown was in effect. Everyone was kind of busy or working and um, it was hard to see people in person because um, one, my friends in Los, if you ever, if you ever come to LA, you'll realize that it's already hard to see people without a lockdown because people are busy, there's traffic, and you really need to plan your day to see someone or make it a priority. And for um, when there is a lockdown, it's like, do I even want to see this person? Like, are they even worth it? Am I going to die? <laughs> and like, during the lockdown, I didn't see anyone in person aside the whole lockdown I've only seen one friend in person um, and actually only recently have I started to see other people with a mask on and luckily now I am vaccinated fully vaccinated so I can see other people more with less um, stress or anxiety hmm. um, although I still wear a mask if it's someone who I don't really know or someone who I haven't seen in a long time but if it's someone that is also vaccinated then you're allowed to be with them without a mask yeah oh so take me through that vaccine so how did you get so like i don't know is it early i don't know because new zealand they've only started vaccinating like the frontline workers like border workers yeah i think the population i don't know what you guys are doing or if you even need it because i don't really know how like epidemiology works but um, the U.S. like started vaccinations as soon as we could for the healthcare workers, and then now I think they're open to all adults. Um, I got mine a little bit early because I worked in education, and so I just received the second dose of the vaccine, and I didn't really have any side effects, and so it's been good. I feel a lot less stressed about every social interaction that I have. And even with like a person-to-person -person interaction with a face mask on, I don't feel like I'm gonna die. <laughs> so that's great. Oh wow! And <laughs> yeah, did did you have intense. to pay for the vaccine or? No, I didn't have to pay. The it's it was free. Yeah. Alright, that's good. That's good. Oh wow! Okay, was it painful though, or was it just like any other it vaccine? Really yeah. Oh, it, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> It makes my it made my arm sore for like two days, and normally vaccine doesn't do that to my arm, but this one did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that should be something fun, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, super fun. All right. Um, I'm gonna wrap this up on a on a positive note. Is there anything you want to say? <laughs> like anything? No, not really. Thank you, yeah, for having me, and I like your podcast a lot. Thank you, Yang. Thank you. Well, yeah, no, thank you so much for coming. It's been a pleasure talking to you, finding out your thoughts on these different topics. It's always nice to hear from a different, like a from a different country. Yep, and yeah. The best country. Huh? The best country. Ah. Uh, getting corona virus no no i shouldn't say that no no yeah america man you know 
You, you should come visit. Not now, not now. Borders are closed, right? No, open. Yeah, I mean, we can travel some, yeah. to some place. Yeah, see, that's going to be a hard no from me. <laughs> not until I get my vaccine. And I think my vaccine, I'm probably, I think we can only get them after June or July. That's when, like, everyone in the country can get their vaccines. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. No, but I, I am planning. I do want to make a trip down. I mean, not down to america some point in my life maybe i don't know next year or the year after we'll just see see what how my wedding's going yeah yeah and and your yeah your wedding yeah that's the main thing (laughs) okay but no thank you again yang it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you thank you so much